Now, good morning. The Ninos are going back to Kenya. Sometimes I was like composing a song and I was singing like, I'm going back to Kenya. My home is Africa. I'm feeling loneliness when I remember Africa. So it was like yesterday when we came over here. Little did we know that we had a lot of classes which we need to enroll ourselves in. Behind the curtains, there were several classes. Yes, from Kenya, I was to come to the Exposter Seminary. But little did we know, apart from that seminary, we had other classes going on when we came over here as the Dinos. Particularly, we had a school of Shosho, accounts, school of accounts. Although she has not given me a certificate, but I think I passed that class. <laughs> the school of communication, Senge, Pet An, was telling us this is how you should do, and we were following that. And in, the kitchen, in our kitchen, Christine was there. <laughs> I don't know about recipes, but Caroline could tell you all the recipes that they have actually worked together. As we were coming over here, we left a lot of friends back in Kenya. We did not know that we are also going to join other new friends. And indeed, we have friends now all over here in America. I praise God because of your hospitality as a church. I praise God because of you guys, because you have stood alongside with us. Wherever we have actually done anything, it's because you have helped us actually to make a step. And that one, which I say, it is because of God who has used you to mold us up to this level. I know when we came from Kenya, we came from a very different culture compared to the culture we came in. But along, along uh, all, all of that, we have learned with the Shosho on our side and the others on our side that this is how we should navigate through issues. And we have gotten it. So we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We are going to miss you guys. But anyway, as human beings, maybe we have actually also made some mistakes here and there. Maybe we have embarrassed you here and there as the Dinos. Please, before we go out of this country, we say you forgive us also. <laughs> yeah. When we were coming over here, we had only one agenda, that to acquire skills and go back. And that has been done. We have acquired the skills. So what? We need to go. And that is where we are right now. We don't have a reverse gear. We have only forward gear. I was actually telling Betty, and you, you guys, you are, I, I, I am the driver, and you are, you are stepping on the, on the brakes. Every time I'm accelerating, I see I'm not moving because you have stepped on the brakes. Why can't you release the brakes so that I can go faster? And they say, no, 
wait. <laughs> but anyway, although we have waited, time has come. We are going home. Surely we are going home, and home is the best. The best. So before even I can preach, as I came over here, we have navigated, we have gone out like with drulos. We have gone out with them, and he has been my teacher in a small group. And most of the people have come in our lives. And something which we never forget as Tendinos. Here you normally say you go to a vacation, but we thank God through you guys. For three year, uh, two years, we, you have been giving us opportunity to go up to Indiana. <laughs> Indiana, that was like our vacation place. And I was learning how to drive, and I was like, will I make it? I, 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 remember, I remember Pastor Shane telling me, brother, give it gas. When the car was, give it gas so that you can go fast. And I said, okay, I will do that. And we were actually going, and every time Brand and, the, and the Vanessa, they know the states. So I was asking them, which state is this? They tell me, okay, let's go. Which state is this? They tell me, let's go. Up to Indiana. Two times we have been crossing over America, and we thank, you, we thank God because he has done it through you guys. Aside to that, because that is not the agenda of me standing before you today, Standing before you today is to preach. And our today's sermon comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Ephesians, chapter 1, uh, chapter 4, I mean. Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I will be reading as I preach. But before we could, die, we could turn to verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, I may say this. As you move around the world, you will come across different corporations, institutions, establishments, foundations, and even societies. All these organizations are governed by their systems or regulations. When you decide to join an organization... One is obligated to live and work according to those rules of that organization. Even if it means joining a club, one must know to keep the rules and regulations of that club. In those organizations, people will carefully live by the expectation of the group rules, however harsh those rules may seem to be. Why? Because they don't want to lose their jobs, they don't want to be rejected from the group or even pushed out from those groups. As they work in those organizations, they are careful to be silent or keep quiet. Or sometimes they are afraid of speaking the truth about something that they know is wrong in those organizations. We tend to fear that we might be thrown out of these organizations or companies for one reason or another. Maybe you want to speak the truth, but the truth may hurt the company, or it may make you lose your job, or may hurt your family. For example, during Jesus' time, Jesus healed a man born blind 
But his parents could not admit the truth because of the harsh laws the Pharisees has put in place. John chapter 9, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogues. Even rulers could not speak out against Jesus because they feared to be thrown out of the synagogues. John chapter 12, verse 42 through 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they will not be put out of the synagogues, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Sometimes we read these things in the Bible, and we tell that they may be happening outside there, but they are not even happening in our local setup of a church. Yes, I agree. As believers, we are glad that we have spiritual security, we have spiritual blessings, and we have spiritual promises of the gospel. But, in a sense, we have not put enough efforts into conforming to the standards and obeying its commands. In the past three chapters of this book, Paul highlights our standing before God. He says, we have all blessings, honor, privileges as children of God. That is to say, we lack nothing spiritually. God has supplied all that we need as his beloved children in our Lord Jesus Christ. You read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has placed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Which was not so in the Old Testament times, because in the Old Testament times, God's blessings were conditional. If you obey, I will bless you. But in New Testament times, God's blessings, God had already blessed us. Now he's saying, as I've already blessed you through love and grace, so obey me. We have all spiritual blessings with us as New Testament believers. And in the last three chapters, he calls us to the practical response. Chapter 4, verse 1, begins with the word, therefore, which acts as a transition from positional to practical truth, from doctrine to duty, from practical to practice. The key word in this section is walk. For example, chapter 4, verse 1, walk in a worthy manner. Chapter 4, verse 17, that you may no longer walk as genders do. Chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, walk as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, Paul urges them in this section to, number one, walk in unity. Chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 16. Walk in purity. Chapter 4, verse 17 through 
chapter 4 verse 17 that chapter 4 verse 17 through chapter 5 verse 17 walk in harmony chapter 5 verse 18 through chapter 6 verse 9 walk in victory chapter 6 verse 10 through verse 24 this means that christian life is not based on ignorance but it is based on knowledge as we understand biblical doctrines, the issue will pay the duties. It is impossible to have a Christian lifestyle without knowing the realities of, of the life that Christ has provided in his word. It is impossible to live a faithful Christian life without knowing biblical doctrines. Now, when people say, don't ask me about doctrine, just let me live my Christian life. You know what? They are revealing their ignorance of the way the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. Why? Because that which you believe determines how you behave as a believer. Renewal cannot come because of programs and other related things, but it comes first through the renewed mind. Through the renewed mind, then we grasp the righteousness and honor of God's truth. Listen to 2 Peter 3.18. The Bible says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. A familiar passage, 2 Timothy 3.16-17. to all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 1 to 6, we are going to see three motivations that drive Unity in a local church. Three motivations that drive unity in a local church. We are motivated to unity in a local church when we understand or when we know, number one, the call to worthy work. The call to worthy work. Let, let me read verse one of Ephesians chapter four. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The call to a worthy walk. At many times, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. But this, by this, he was just trying to remind his readers that he knows that Christian work can be costly. And now he asked them to walk in the same way he himself walked. He wanted his readers to know that the circumstances he was in, at the same time, those circumstances could not change his commitment and the confidence of conforming to his Lord, who is Jesus Christ. As an apostle, 
He had the ability to see everything in the light of how it affected Christ. He urges them also to see things in the light of Christ's testimony. Thus, Christ's standards were Paul's standards. Christ's motives were Paul's motives. Christ's objectives were Paul's objectives. Christ's vision were Paul's vision. Everything Paul planned and did was in relation to his Lord. Thus, he was totally captive of our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, if we want also to aspire his life, we can read what David said in uh, Psalms 16 verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. This is King David. He's saying, I've set my Lord before me on my right hand. And because of that, I have confidence I cannot be shaken. Apart from him saying that, you can notice Paul says, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord at you. The word at you, and he's not actually just putting there a full stop, at you to walk in a manner worthy. So the word walk. Before maybe we can come to, 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 to explain the word work, he's actually telling us something there. I urge you. Or in the other words, he's entreating you. So the word entreat means to call, beseech, exhort, entreat to one side with an idea of wanting to help or helped. It's a strong desire of pleading, beseeching, or pecking. Paul pleaded with people to do right. As he uses this word elsewhere, he was urging people to do right and respond to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ rightly. Notice also, he uses the same word in Acts chapter 26, verse 3. Paul pleaded with King Agrippa to listen to his defense carefully. He also uses the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, strongly urged the Corinthians to reform their love for the dependent brother. He also used the same word in Galatians chapter 4, verse 2, pleaded with the Galatians to stand in the liberty of the gospel as he did. And also, he's using the same word in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. If that was the heart of Paul, If that was the heart of Paul, then Paul was, and Paul is still, urging all pastors, urging all believers to always have a loving concern to endure, implore, peck, and plead with others to respond in obedience to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. He's urging you, he's pleading with you that also tell other people, entreat other people so that they can respond to this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice, apart from urging, he's saying walk in a worthy manner. Look at that word walk. The word walk refers to daily conduct, 
day by day living. That's to live, to behave, to go about doing something. It is an action word. Now, he's not saying walk and then putting a full stop, but he's saying walk worthy. Now, the, 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 the following word is worthy. The word worthy has the root meaning of balancing the scales. Ichi, a person worthy of his pay, was one of the whose day's work responds to his day's wages. Now, when you put together those two words, work and worthy, what is he trying to say? So our daily living should correspond to our high position of calling as children of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Our work should correspond, but in Christ Jesus. That's what he's trying to say here. What is his point now? He is just saying, we live a life that corresponds to the standard God set when he first called us. We need to live with those standards. Should we aspire to such a life, then Christ is the best example for us to follow because Christ's practical living matched with spiritual living. Our calling is sovereignly attained. It is a saving call from the Holy God. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In essence, no one comes to Christ unless God throws him to Christ. When you read John, the Gospel of John chapter 6, verse 44, and then you read verse 65. We did not choose him for our salvation, but he chose us for our salvation. John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit abide, should always abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, if that's the case, then this is why our call, number one, is a high calling, number two, is a heavenly calling, and number three, it is a holy calling. Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. 2 Timothy 1, 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the age began. As faithful Christians, we should be determined to press on towards the call for the price of the upward goal of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That is why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press on towards the call for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My question to you this morning is this, 
What is your walk like among fellow believers? Is your walk corresponding to the high and holy calling of God? And are you walking in the standards to which he first called you? If yes, press on. If not, re-examine your life and dedicate your life to Jesus Christ. Our motivation to unity in a local church cannot only be understood through their call to worthy work, but secondly, it must also be understood through the attitudes of a worthy work. So this brings us to verse 2 and 3, the attitudes of a worthy work. So after Paul telling us that we have been called to a worthy work, He's now trying to help us which are these attitudes that worthy work is established on. So he's coming through verse 2 and verse 3 to tell us that our worthy work is established on something. And those things which the worthy work is established on, Paul is trying actually to help us understand that. Verse 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness and patience, pairing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The attitudes of our worthy work, verse 2 and 3. Paul gives us five essentials for faithful Christian living, which are five attitudes on which walking worthy in Lord's goal are established. So, the first attitude is humility. He starts with this word, humility. The word means to think or charge with the meekness, and hence to have meekness of mind. That's a person who does not think of himself with pride and self-satisfactory. We cannot even begin to please God without humility. Jesus Christ, when he was sent by his Father here, he humbled before him. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 to 8, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We should walk in the same way Christ walked. When you read First John chapter 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. But why are we not walking in the same way he walked? Why are we not walking in the same way he walked? Here's the answer. It is because Satan has shunned humility and advocated for pride. People are mostly proud of their jobs, their achievements, their accomplishments, etc., etc. Even the society around us tends to recognize and appraise those who have accomplished something in their life. Guys, let me tell you, this is only but pride. Remember that posting and exalting oneself are all just world's stock in trade. They are traps 
that Satan uses to lead God's people astray. As we look back into the Old Testament, we can see that the first sin entered the world through pride. You can read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 to 7. You can also read Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 22. Also read Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 19. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction and a hard spirit before a fall. Proverbs 21, verse 4. Hout eyes and proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are seen. Pride is the supreme temptation from Satan as his own evil nature is pride. But I don't think that God has called us to pride. God, on the other side, he has called us to humility. God has called us to humility. Proverbs 15, verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and the humility comes before honor. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another person praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Humility is an ingredient of all spiritual blessing, while pride is the source of all evil. Now, humility involves awareness of God. Throughout the gospel, we see Jesus' perfect submission to the Father, his perfect love, his perfect compassion, and his perfect wisdom displayed as an example to all humanity. As we see ourselves in reference to Christ, we are reminded that we are only but saved sinners. This is what Simon Peter could say in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, after he saw himself through Christ. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Job, chapter 42, verse 6. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You read also Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1, verse 3, particularly verse 5. You can see Isaiah also altering the same, same words because he saw the Lord. When we, saw the, when we can see the Lord, then fear comes in us and we can see ourselves that we are only but saved sinners. Apart from humility, Paul gives us also another attitude. Second attitude is gentleness, verse 2. Gentleness means self-control. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When we read Galatians, Chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. 
Do every child of God, Paul could say this in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, gentleness is not weakness. But it is power under control. A gentle person is not self-defending. Jesus said this when he was portrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what he said. Matthew 26, verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and that he will at once send me more than 12 luncheons of angels? He had power, but because... He was gentle. He could not retaliate back. We can learn also from the Old Testament people. King David showed meekness when he refused to kill King Saul, although he had power to do so. When you read 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 to 7, and even when you read 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5 to 14. Moses showed his meekness when he was opposed by Aaron and Miriam. When you read the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3. Why did Moses do that? He, he did so because Moses' strength was in the Lord who called him. So also we only glory in Christ Jesus. Our power is in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches that we should be slow to anger. When you read Proverbs 16, verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The meek person always responds willingly to God's word, no matter what requirements and consequences might be. When you read the book of James, chapter 1, verse 21, a gentle person is a peacemaker. He forgives and restores the sinner with all meekness. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I don't know whether you are gentle. I don't know whether you are meek. But those are attitudes that we should build our worthy work so as to keep unity in the, in the church. Thirdly, the third attitude, patience. Still on verse 2. The word patience is outgrowth of humility and gentleness. Sometimes it's translated long-tempered or long-suffering. For example, Abraham endured long God's promise to come true. When you read the book of <coughs> Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, you can hear this. And that Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained a promise. But where did it begin? It all began in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God promising him that you are going to have a son and you are going to be uh, a great nation. But he waited until this promise came to pass. Romans 4, 20. No unbelief met him, whoever, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. No one worked tirelessly. 
to build the ark for many, many years. But he did not give up the assignment God gave him. Now, scholars have said that maybe uh, no, when he was building this ark, maybe he took like 120 years. Imagine every morning he wakes up, same agenda. Every morning he wakes up, same agenda, building the ark for 120 years. This means he was patient with God's assignment. He could not actually give up. We need to be, uh, we need to be examples of suffering and patience like the prophets. When you read James chapter 5, verse, verse 10, God called Jeremiah, but he was not ready because he knew people would malign and persecute him. When you read Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 to 19, but Jeremiah, with patience, served long till the end of his life. He did not give up. God called also Isaiah. And he was told, people will not listen to you. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 12. But as Jeremiah, Isaiah preached and ministered with patient faithfulness. The apostle Paul also endured hardships, affliction and persecutions, because of his master. And this is what he said in Acts 21, verse 33. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of my Lord Jesus. As Paul and others, therefore, we need to have patience and endurance with other people as far as the high calling of Christ is concerned. People are going to persecute you. People are going to malign your name. People are going to make you suffer. But as Paul and others, we need to learn that and be patient and endure what comes our way. Yes, also, as indigenous, we are locating back to Kenya. I know that these things await us on the way. But we are also reminded that we need actually to be patient and endure, such like missiles when they come from people. We need to. The fourth attitude, for pairing love. Still verse 2, for pairing love. Now, love covers a multitude of sin, since when you read First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, but listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Hatred steers up strife, but love covers all offenses. This is a couple love that takes abuse from others while continuing to love them. Sometimes I, I, I normally make some jokes that if God wants you, if God wants to teach you about love, always he, should, he need to put unlovable neighbor <laughs> next to you. So that every time that neighbor, when he comes out or she comes out, she's on your neck. And then God on the other side will be teaching you how to love him. Because it is, it is going to be very impossible. It is go, it's going to be very impossible if you want to learn a lesson and you have just a laughable neighbor. It, it cannot work that way. You need actually to be given a neighbor who gives you problems every time you come up so that God can teach you how to love him. 
And that is exactly what we are trying to see here. Love that calls whatever, love that keeps whether it receives in return or not. Love that calls out even to enemies under praise for its persecutors. Listen to what Matthew says in chapter 5, verse 43 to 44. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The bottom line, I may ask, how many of your persecutors have you prayed for this morning? It's a challenge. The, the fifth attitude, this comes for three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the point of peace. But three, unity and the peace. This is not organizational unity, but this is the inner and the universal unity of the spirit by which every true believer is bound to all other true believers. Can only be manifested in us through humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing love. This kind of peace or unity cannot be created by a church, but it can only be created in us through the Holy Spirit. When you read First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, but listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. It is the unity Christ prayed for his disciples to have while he was about to ascend to the Father in heaven. When you want to read, you can read John chapter 17, verse 11, verse 21 through 23. As a church, we should guard this unity. When you read Romans chapter 15, verse 1 to, to, to 6, we should, as a church, we should guard this unity. Listen to what Paul could say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Now, allow me, judge. If you can allow me, I want to personalize this verse this way. I want to read it in a personal way. Now, listen. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether the niños come to see you or the niños are absent, they may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. We know we are going, but we need to hear the, the, the body we left behind, how they're striving, how they're going on. And it's going to be our joy. For there is no peace. For the wicked, when you read Isaiah, chapter 48, verse 22, 
But the bond of bringing unity in a believer is Philippians 2.2. Philippians 2.2 says this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. And behind this bond of peace is the agape love. Behind this bond of peace is the agape love. My question is, have you clothed yourself with humility? Have you clothed yourself with gentleness? Have you clothed yourself with patience? Have you clothed yourself with forbearing love? And the uni- uh, forbearing love, unity, and the peace. Have you closed yourself? These five attitudes are the most powerful testimony a believer or a church can have so as to maintain unity in a local church. The motivation to unity in a local church cannot only be understood through the call to the worthy work and the attitudes to a worthy work, but thirdly, must also be understood through the substance of a worthy work. The substance of a worthy work. And that one brings us to verse 4 through verse 6. Let me read verse 4 through verse 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Everything that relates to salvation, church and the kingdom of God is built on unity. Outward oneness should be the inner oneness of believers. Paul recites the features of oneness that are connected to our doctrine and life. For example, he says, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God the Father. However, it is clear that verse 4 sends us to the Holy Spirit, and verse 5 sends us on the Son, and verse 6 sends us to God the Father. In essence, Paul is trying just to put across the Trinity. So let us look at verse 4. One in spirit. We have one church composed of saints all over the world. This is called universal church. We have only one spirit of God possessed by every believer who is in the, the inner unifying force of the body. Believers are individual temples. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, and, a belie- uh, and the believers are yet to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21 to 22. The Bible says, In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being pulled together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy 
and blameless before him in love. He is the Holy Spirit. He is a divine engagement ring. As it were, who guarantees that every believer will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 to 9. Now, once saved, always saved. Once a child, always a child. Which means, when you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. And that's why this verse is confirming that the Holy Spirit in us, it is guaranteeing you that one day you will be at a marriage supper with him. As believers, then, we should walk in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. Believers are also unified in one hope of their calling. Go back again. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, you can read. It's telling us that we are unified together by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. Verse 5 says, One Lord, one faith, one publicism. Now, there he's just speaking about the Son. We all attain to one salvation from only Jesus Christ. Listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other gospel to be preached. Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 8. But even if we, are, we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Romans 10, verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. We have one Lord. This is the Son. Christians only have one faith. When you read Jude chapter 3, and that faith which is a content of revealed word of God. Believers have only one spiritual baptism, which they are all placed into the body by the Holy Spirit. When you go back to verse 4, that's what verse 4 has been actually trying to tell us. Now, when we come to baptism, we have literal meaning of baptism and figurative meaning of baptism. When we say figurative meaning of baptism, that is what he's trying to say here. We are baptized into Christ. We are saved. That is figurative. But literal meaning is by immersion. So, in the first place, we need to identify ourselves by Christ, by way of salvation. Then, secondly, we can go and show what has happened in us or has taken place in us by immersion. But here, this verse is not talking about Literal meaning of baptism, water baptism, is trying to tell us about identifying by him. Now, verse 6, verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 4. One God and the Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Verse 6 is talking about God the Father. The basic doctrine of Judaism has always been the Lord is one. As Christians, we also confer, confess that God is one. The Master's Seminary doctrinal statement summarizes it this way. We teach that there is but one living and a true God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, 
Isaiah 45, verse 5 to 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. An infinite, all-knowing spirit, that is John chapter 4, verse 24, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 14. Each equally deserving worship and obedience. In essence, what are, we, what are we trying to say here? So there is only one God in three persons who are distinct from one another, yet inseparably one in essence and who coexisted, co-eternal, and co-equal. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one who has revealed himself as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The true biblical doctrine of the triune Godhead affirms that there is one God, not three, in three persons, not one, who are coexistent, co-eternal, and co-equal. When you read the biblical doctrines by John MacArthur and Richard Mayu, that is what they say. Now, what is Paul trying to say in this passage? Paul urges us to put into practice this passage so as to keep unity in our local church. And that is why he wrote and said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, pairing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the pond of peace. There is one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In essence, what am I trying to say? Should we want to maintain unity in our local church, then one should understand the call for worthy work, the attitude of a worthy work, the substance of a worthy work. Should you keep those three things in practice, we will maintain the unity in a local church. May God bless you and keep you until we meet again. They stand. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us as a local church to maintain this unity by keeping this truth in our hearts, and also help us to grow in these attitudes of worth work as we hold on to the Trinity as our true substance in this spiritual work of our daily living. Lord, we need you to walk with us in this spiritual journey, which is full of challenges from the world. Help us to maintain this so as to grow and keep unity in our local church. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.